A global pandemic, civil unrest, and economic uncertainty have swept the nation. Despite such challenges, more people are giving more than ever before. Rabbi Yehuda Gerwitz, CEO of Charity.com, is out to make the impossible possible by cultivating a spirit of generosity. Join us for an inspiring conversation on this episode of Therefore What? Therefore What is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What. We are very pleased today to be joined here on Therefore What by uh, Rabbi Yehuda Gerwitz. Rabbi, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Really looking forward to this conversation, and uh, I want to dive right into it uh, in terms of how, how do we really go about uh, your pursuit of cultivating this spirit of generosity, and uh, tell us just a little bit about your organization uh, and what it is that you're doing right now. Uh, so, first of all, thank you so much for having me uh, this morning. So the company is called Charity, and um, we're based on the premise that the impossible is what's possible. And usually most people, when they try to solve anything, they take a practical route in order to deal with it. However, what we found is that the most practical way is by taking an impossible route. And the reason is because when you take a practical route, you're limited to the practicalities of it. When you take something impossible is when you allow God into your work and God is limitless. So anything becomes possible. So that translates in life in general, but we sort of came to this with looking at the giving space. And we said, great, people are giving, people have problems they need to solve, people are raising money. Like, how do you deal with it? And a lot of people take practical routes of solving problems. And we said, okay, how do we go in and take an impossible route? We'll be crazy. How do we help people raise more money from a sh- short amount of time, from the most amount of people in the cheapest way? Like, how do we do that? Like, that would be crazy. And through that, we've helped organizations raise uh, just in the past few years alone over a billion dollars. And this is just something that we try to bring in. And it's everything that we do within our company, we work with organizations to really figure out what we call an ambitious, which is the impossible, but attainable. So we work with a mixture of data and an art and making sure that they take them through an experience that they should be able to raise a lot more money and accomplish their goals. So most people look at, let's say, somebody who wants to increase whatever they're doing, let's say from an organization standpoint, they will say, okay, How do we do this over three years and raise X and X amount of money, get a certain amount of membership involved? And what we say is, how do we do that in three months or six months or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. And we go with a practical approach with it because inspiration is only one thing. At the end of the day, we have to put in the work. So the mixture between the impossible but also a practical plan within the madness, as I say, is a method to the madness. You're speaking my language. I, uh, I'm one of those guys <laughs> who firmly believe that uh, you know life happens within the parentheses of a, of a crazy idea. That's where miracles happen. That's where the impossible happens. I think that's where America happens. Uh, and I think one of the things that you have really shown is just the, the goodness of the American people. 
that they do rise up, that it's the old barn raising mentality that, you know, if the neighbor's barn burned down, it was civil society. It wasn't a government edict or a mandate or a threat of anything. People do have these desires to do good. Uh, and you've proven that uh, in your work and your ability to help folks come together for great causes of all kinds. Tell us a little bit more about uh, what you've done, how you've gone about that. So uh, just an example overall, which we see humanity, which I like, which is pre-COVID, there was this uh, rabbi out of uh, New York, young rabbi, a uh, high school teacher, and a year and a half ago, suffered septic shock, and then they needed to save his life, and they realized in order to save his life, they need to amputate his arms and legs. However, it cost $200,000 per limb for good prosthetics. What do you do? You need a minimum of $800,000, close to a million dollars, just to get him literally, you know, yeah. uh, to the prosthetics. Forget about procedures. Fam teacher, not much money. What do you do? The family, who is actually friends with one of our staff members, and spoke to them. And we curated a campaign. And in six, within a week, we launched the campaign. And in 60 hours, 21,000 people donated over $2 million. And all of a sudden, you saw like 99% of these people had no clue who he is. And they gave to give this person a chance. And it's like crazy. It's like, how are you going to raise over a million dollars for such a thing? It's so quick. But you saw the people at their core, who they are, the people care. And this complete stranger to most of them, but they gave because they did care. And it was amazing to see that. And it's something that we get to see is the goodness of people. It's a lot of times, and you know, I, I get to say, like, in my business, I get to see a good side. You know, even like the uber, uber rich who sometimes have a reputation of being very extremely shrewd in business, right? I get to see the philanthropists. So I get to see that people are giving, donating $10 million a year or $50 million a year. The more generous ones, you know, the people are more kind-hearted. Uh, so we get to see, which is a blessing, you know, sometimes, you know, almost like a child, we see the world from, uh, from the good, you know, the good side. But I do believe that's true. Ultimately, people have a good side and a not good side. It's something that I've been taught always. Yeah. And the question is, which side are you in touch with? Are you in touch with your good side or are you in touch with your not good side? And... In this case, what we do is help people be in touch with their good side. So I want to ask you, as you've gone through and, and you've helped all kinds of nonprofits and organizations and individuals, and, and whether that's a, a specific campaign to, to raise large quantities of money over time and, and a campaign, uh, or as you just mentioned in this example, you know, something that's just immediate and very focused, what, is, what has surprised you the most uh, since you founded Charity back in 2013? What has been the most surprising thing that you've learned in this, uh, in this adventure? The most surprising thing is not the type of cause it is and not the type of people. People at the end of the day, meaning people say, ooh, I'm a cancer organization or I'm, a, you know, I'm helping this. It's heartwarming. Ultimately... It's not about that. It really boils down to the crowd, the engagement of the crowd. You can have, for conversations, like one cancer organization that has extreme engagement and a lot of people care about it. And you can have a, another organization which seems like a, another cancer organization who no one will be giving. And then you can have another organization who seems like, a, to many people, a worthless cause and they'll have extreme engagement. And the reason is 
what's surprising is to me was like, oh, you think these are like higher on the list, less on the list. And it's really not about that. It's really which organization talks to the person, talks to certain people. And if it talks to certain people, one thing you see today with Google, right? If you search anything, there's a how-to about almost anything that you think about. Every idea you had, everything, because every person is different in a way of what talks to them. And there's no like priority list of what is more interesting. It's what's more interesting to you. And that's really what it's about. And what we do, we don't push causes. What we do is help people f- to a certain community. We help people find their community, their mm-hmm. tribe. Who is your people? Oh, that's fantastic. That That is so important. And, and I think that whole, uh, it is sort of the psychology behind giving and, and getting people tapped in uh, and reaching out, as you said, finding their tribe, finding uh, those that it resonates with. Tell us a little bit more uh, just about the, the philosophy of your company. I always find this fascinating as a uh, as a former business geek consultant going in to see what really makes organizations tick. Uh, you've got six principles that really guide everything you do at charity.com. Tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe even the process of how you got to those six particular principles. Well, ultimately, I, I would look at it a little differently than, 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 than about, about the principles. What we've learned and what we've sort of stand on is that we want to empower every person to do good. And at the end of the day, people want to do good. They really do. They really, really, really do. And it's something you see within, let's say, right now within COVID. I had a friend call from from LA, a very successful businessman, and he sourced a lot of things from out of the country, products, etc. And he's like, I want to take my entire staff. I want to take my entire company, you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees, and I want to dedicate them fully to bring in the resources that are needed for free. I don't want to make a dollar. This is what I want to do. People are making money. There's price gouging on different products, different things. This is what I want to do. And this is a person who would ne- who's never been involved in activism. He's never been involved. But all of a sudden, through COVID, it touched his heart. It really just touched him. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he sparked. And this is something that I knew for a while. And I remember I, I got him involved in a little something once a short while ago, or a couple of years back. And a friend's like, really, him? Like, he got involved? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. I didn't think it's his type. Like, at the end of the day, it's everybody's type. Everybody's type is to get involved, is to care. And it's almost at a certain moment. You know, there's a, there's a uh, again, where I grew up, I grew up in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, not in the city, but I grew up, and there's this guy there, very successful, wealthier people in the community, very quiet, very, and all of a sudden, through COVID, he became a community activist. This is somebody who's a very, very wealthy man, over 20 years in the community, you know, not an activist whatsoever, but all of a sudden, this hit him in a place where he became an activist and literally day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, is dedicated to helping people and helping volunteers, first responders, making sure they have all the funds they need, going out and creating fundraisers. He created a fundraiser that him and two other people went and raised. They did this, put on this whole event working with our company and raised $15 million from 83,000 people. And like, not only he gave, but he got other people involved. And this is like a quiet, you know, businessman, very successful, keeps himself, and all of a sudden got involved because it came to this moment where he was able to tap into that. Uh-huh. And that's really what things are based on. It's based on that that is the core. And this is somebody, if you came to somebody a year ago and said, by the way, so-and-so in that community is going to become a community activist and he's going to 
dedicate literally his entire time for two months straight, they would have laughed at you. And like, but he did, and it's amazing to see. And what you do see is another thing. I look at this individual and I see a free man. All of a sudden, because true freedom is when you are based on your truth of what you were supposed to do the whole time. Freedom is being you. Like, you know, we, we talk about rules, we, religion or whatever it is, right? It's like, right. is God limiting? No, it's the most freeing thing. Again, you know, done right. You know, your practice is done right, and it's freeing. It's not trapping you. If it's trapping you and confining you, it means there's something wrong with your relationship. So seeing that, and you see a different person. He's walking around. You see, like, you know, he has, like, a skip, and in his steps, it's, it's really that. So that's really what it's based on. It's based on that at the end of the day, people want to do good. People truly should do good. And more than that, it's not only about the charity space. Right. Much, much more than that. We look at the world from that at the end of the day, we're here to make the world better. We're here to change the world for positive. And most people say, okay, I have my business and now I'm going to take my business and I'm going to do, I'm going to give charity from my earnings. And we look at it and say, no, no, no. We want the actual business to do good. Right. And that's really, it's not only about helping people. It's the core identity of anything you're doing should be good. Such great insight there. We could we could spend three hours just breaking that down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I want to get into your personal journey. You've just described, uh, you know, someone who uh, was doing well and, and kind of found their way into it. Tell us a little bit about your journey. What inspired you? Who inspired you? We're always talking about mentors and coaches on this program. What and who inspired you? Give us a little insight into your journey, uh, how you got here. I grew up, again, in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. I was always a dreamer. My father always laughed. That's my fifth birthday. I wanted, uh, we lived in a condo, then we moved, and uh, I wanted uh, an airplane, a real one, or a helicopter, a real one. <laughs> Um, or, like or a bridge, one that w- a bridge, one that went from um, Brooklyn to Manhattan, or a tunnel. I like the Holland Tunnel that went from Manhattan to Jersey. Those were the few options, four options I gave my dad. So he looks at me, and says, "Yehuda, where are we going to put it?" I said, "What do you mean in the hallway? You know, not a big deal." So on one hand, I always had that ever since I was a little kid. On the other hand, I grew up in a home of giving, an open home service. I grew up. Sleeping on the floor many, many nights. Um, and not because we had a small house, we had a big brownstone in Brooklyn, but because we had a lot of guests and our yeah. guest rooms would be full. And then we'd have even more. Giving was something. Growing up also, grew up Chabad, which is a sect of Judaism focused on really helping the other, led by the Jewish leader of this generation, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, mm-hmm. um, the Rebbe is known. And he has always been my inspiration of really on every way of my life. However, I struggled. I really, really struggled. I did a lot of outreach work. I hated rules. I, had to, I hate rules. And it's interesting, growing <laughs> religious, with not like rules doesn't exactly work well. Uh, but I hated rules. And I struggled with that and sort of had to, you know, go on my own spiritual journey with time. But, um, and then found my space with that. But, at the same time, with this, the, I had a struggle. Who am I? Like, is it the guy who has these big dreams, these big ambitious ideas? Or is it the person who wants to help people? Who? Who's the real me? 
And then one day I realized, I said, they're both me. They're both me. And I said, and I realized that time was before the words social entrepreneurship were popular or known. And I said, I want to make money and do good while I'm at it. That's what I knew in my heart. That's what I want. I want my actual business to do good. And I remember talking to then sort of a mentor of mine and big player in the denim industry. And he says, what are you planning on doing when you finish like was in rabbinical school? What are you planning on doing when you're done? Because he knew I didn't want to actually be a rabbi. I wanted to do the schooling, but I didn't want to actually practice that. So I told him, I want to make money, do good while I'm at it. He says, good luck with that. <laughs> and he laughed, you know, like, pick a lane. That's right. Now, now, throughout my career in school, I was always focused on outreach, and I did a lot of fundraising. I did a lot of fundraising projects, et cetera, et cetera. And what I realized was I had a once-aha moment. I fundraised a lot of pro bono things and had this head of one of the largest uh, Orthodox Jewish schools in the world who was trying to get me to work for him and help him fundraise. And then we had a conversation about fundraising, and I told him something about, about certain two young people that he knew, that I knew who they were, and he was telling me he got a certain amount of money from them. I'm like, why do you get so little, blah, blah, blah. We had just like casual conversation. Anyway, two weeks later, I bump into him, and older man, and he comes to me, and he says, oh, by the way, I have to thank you. So I says, because of you, I raised $70,000. So I said, what do you mean? Because those two people combined gave me, they were giving combined, I think, like five, combined like $70,000 this week. I said, interesting. He said, yeah, I, I did what you said. And I, I walked away. I'm like, what? <laughs> just happened. This guy raises untold money, one of the most successful, forget about financially, he really has done well. You know, whether it's the real estate that the, that the organization has and buildings, it's one of the most successful organizations. And I said, he needed my advice. And then I realized that he was so good, but he was inefficient. And I realized that if he just tweaked the little things he did, and this is a successful one, I said, right. if he just tweaked the little things, that he would be able to raise a lot more money easier. And then I started realizing there was a pattern. I realized that most people in the do-good space, most fundraisers, are not good fundraisers. Their people are passionate. They're religious leaders who are passionate about teaching their followers. There are people who run a social organization who care. They're not good fundraisers. Good fundraisers go to Wall Street or Silicon Valley. That's where they go. Right. They don't go into this business. Yeah, so when we talk about even like, oh, this successful uh, organization, blah, this one, we're talking about people talking, oh, they make so much, raise so much money. Those are not one percenters. Those are quarter percenters, you know, when people talk about those. So yeah, there are those, of course. But that's just, it's just small. There's 1.8 million, uh, let's say active, a million nonprofits. It's just very small percent, very, very small piece of the pie. And I said, okay. What we want to do is, I said, if we can create efficiencies in this space and help people do things good and help create systems and build tools that will be able to allow them and enable them to increase their work and increase everything they're doing, that will be the greatest impact that we can have. And that's it. And with that, spent a year and a half research and development and launched and, yeah, here we are and we're only getting started. Our, our goal at the end of the day... Most people look at the giving space and say, wow, $400 billion giving the United States. If only I can build a tech and process a few percent of that, I'll be fine. I'll be good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we look at everything very differently, which is $400 billion given. Amazing, beautiful. People are great. How do we take that number and change that? How do we get that number to $500 million? 
How do we get that number to 600 million? And make money off the increase. When an organization comes to us and says, we raise a year a million dollars, we want to raise that through you. I say, I'm not interested. I say, well, if you raise a million, you want to raise a million and a half dollars, now you're our client. Yeah. And that's how we, we want to increase. And that's how we look at the space. Every single thing we look at, how do we get people to give more and more and more to the causes that they care about? It's not about Mike caring. It's about whatever they care about. Therefore what? We do call the program Therefore What and really try to boil it down to the, the essence of things. So this is where I get to ask you, Therefore What? So what what do you hope people think different? What do you hope they do different after listen, listening to this podcast today? I hope that people realize that if they care about something, then they could solve it. If there is an issue out there, there's other like-minded people that they might not know about that are going to be ready to jump on the bandwagon. And all you really need is a leap of faith to try. Try to see. Try to see if you can move whatever is forward. You see an issue in your local community or wherever it is. You have someone next to you is hurting. Instead of looking at things and saying, how do I give $100 or $20 or $5? Okay, but it's not really going to help. Try to look at the world from a way of how do I solve the problem? And understand that it's a lot easier than you think because there are so many like-minded people. You might not know them, but in today's world, through social media, through anything, through podcasts, there's ways of getting out there. And people, like-minded people, can get involved. And if you just activate it properly, communicate them properly, you will be able to solve the things that you care about. Most people get stuck because they realize or they think they can't do anything. But in truth, they can. Rabbi Yehuda Gurwitz, CEO of Charity, thank you so much for joining us today. We're just going to call you uh, Mr. Impossible Possible, making it all happen (laughs) in there, helping everyone cultivate that spirit of generosity. Thank you so much for your insight, for your extraordinary work. And uh, I know the best is yet to come. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, boy. Thank you. Remember, after the story is told, after the principle is presented, after the discussion and debate have been had, the question for all of us is, therefore what? Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening today, and be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on DeseretNews.com slash TW and subscribe to our newsletter. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for engaging with us on Therefore What?